Thank you so much, guys, for jumping on the home buyer seminar. I know it's a Saturday morning or early afternoon, and, and many of us are also fasting. So I really appreciate you coming on and giving us your time. Um, we did this seminar about a couple years ago during the pandemic, and we found that it was extremely beneficial for a lot of people who were first-time home buyers. Um, also, if you're not a first-time home buyer, whether you're looking to upsize or downsize, or even just need a quick refresher, I think this seminar is going to be extremely useful for you guys. Um, Jessica is going to give you some information about the process in general, how to buy a home in Ontario. And there's a lot of things that Fatima and I will be covering that many of you may not even be aware of. Um, for example, what to do when putting an offer in, how to look for properties. So the way we'll structure this presentation is we're going to try to wrap it up uh, within an hour, hour and 15 minutes. The first portion is going to be a quick introduction by myself and Fatima. Uh, then we're going to be actually doing a, a sort of like an interactive walkthrough of the home buying process. So you'll basically understand what's happening step by step. It's as if you're actually going to be buying a home. So we're going to go through all those details. And then the third part of this presentation is going to be a quick market update, because I know a lot of you have many questions about what's going on in the market. Is it a good time to buy? Is it a good time to sell, invest whatsoever? So I'll touch up on that briefly. And then Fatima will also shed some light into the interest rate world, which I know many of us have a lot of questions about, myself included. And then we're going to end it off with, I think, which is probably the most important part of this presentation is going to be the question and answer session. So depending on how many questions we get, you can either type it into the chat room or even just unmute yourself later on. And you can ask any questions you like real estate related. Um, we are going to have an, another professional on the line as well. Uh, a couple of our lawyers, home inspectors. Um, so if you have any legal questions, if they are on at the end of the presentation, feel free to ask them as well. So without further ado, let's start the presentation. I'm just going to give you guys a quick introduction of who I am. My name is Essen Reza. I work with Century 21 Innovative Realty, and I've been in the real estate business for almost uh, a decade now, uh, just 10 plus years counting. And it's been a great ride for me. You know, I've seen markets up and, and a couple of markets that have gone down and have learned to adapt to different uh, market challenges and environments. And for me, my goal is never to pump up the market. You know, a lot of people you see out there will always tell you it's a good time to buy or it's a good time to sell. My philosophy is different. My philosophy is that buying and selling is always going to be situational. So if you need to make a move, if your family is growing, or if you have an empty nest and your, your kids are leaving the home and you have to move, or if you want to invest into a good property, we help those clients buy and sell so that they can make an educated decision. And I really enjoy what I do. It's, it's really been a blessing for me because I get to meet so many new people along the process. Um, so that's enough about me. Um, I wanted to give it to Fatima Riley, who is the expert mortgage broker, who is going to be co-hosting this presentation with me. So Fatima, take it away. How do I top that off, Essen? That was just a great introduction. I was like, I only have a few things to say. Um, thank you for having me. And once again, thank you, everybody, for joining on this very gloomy Saturday. Um, and, you know, just a disclaimer to, you know, put um, out there. 
Uh, I'm fasting and my coffee's not there. So if I say anything that doesn't make sense, that's probably because, you know, there's no caffeine in my body. Uh, but, um, you know, just a quick um, intro on myself. Um, I've been in the industry um, for five years and I've been an uh, agent for three. Um, just like Essence said, you know, I think the last few years, you know, have been amazing because of, you know, how the market was, where the rates were. Um, so it's been a great ride. Um, you know, definitely work with a brokerage that has access to 120 lenders so sometimes a product you know at the bank may not be a fit for you uh, but you know we're able to you know find you a mortgage or find you a product you know that um, that might be a better fit for you um, and I love what I do I love helping people I think you know uh, before you know you know putting people in a mortgage I love to hear their stories um, and um, yeah that's just a little bit about myself Perfect. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction, Fatima. So without further ado, we'll begin the presentation here um, with our first slide. Um, so what I always like to do is before we even jump into the actual home buying process, you know, my philosophy has always been about, you know, your mindset and how you view things, especially in this challenging market where home prices in Toronto obviously are, are sky high. And my three keys to success with real estate or anything in general has always been opportunity, knowledge, and action. So what do I mean by that exactly? So opportunity, that's where you as an individual are going to recognize opportunities in this market, even in a high-priced or high-interest rate environment. There are opportunities, but you have to be open to that, right? There are several people that I speak to on a daily basis who are always gloom and doom and say, you know, the market's up, market's down and it's it's all going to burn and crash. And, you know, everything is on the table. We're not saying that nothing is off the table. But with that sort of mindset, you know, it's clear that, you know, if you ever wanted to get into home ownership, you know, that's your first red flag right there because that's going to probably stall your process and maybe even, you know, take you back a few years. So opportunity, recognize the opportunity, working with the right people to recognize the opportunity is absolutely crucial. And opening up your mindset to be more positive, be, be more thinking, and just overall having a better, better surrounding uh, environment with yourself, with the right brokers, the right people, and also yourself. Number two is knowledge. So when I say knowledge, knowledge is power, right? Knowledge is information. Knowledge is crucial in the real estate industry because without knowledge, you're not going to make the right decision. And what do I mean by that practically? Well, okay. So when it comes to buying a house, right, you have to go through several steps and meet several people. You have to get the pre-approval. You have to establish your budget. You have to understand what your monthly budget is. You have to understand where the market is. You have to understand where the interest rates are. There are so many factors that are involved in this home buying process that if you try to go out and do, a do it alone, you're probably going to miss out on a bunch of steps, right? So for example, we've had people that have tried to go buy homes on their own, which is great. Like obviously if you have the knowledge and information to do that, by all means do that. But unfortunately what I find is that they may miss out on certain important clauses in the agreement that ends up backfiring them at the end, or sometimes they, you know, overpay for a property, which they, could have got for a lot cheaper. So knowledge is information. It's really important to do your due diligence and research before you jump into the housing market. Last but not least is action. Action is being proactive. So a lot of times people recognize the opportunity, they get the knowledge, but when it comes time to take action, 
they get cold feet and they back out, which is totally understandable. You know, I've been in a situation before. I'm sure Fatima has been there before. Many of us have been there. And it takes a lot of legwork to put that opportunity and knowledge into action because it's not easy buying a home. It's, it's not a walk in the park. But like I said, with the right mindset, the right positive attitude, the right people around you, taking that action can actually become a lot easier because now you're mitigating the risks. And it's always tough to time the market. So if you're a first-time home buyer or even a you know repetitive home buyer, and you're looking for that right time to buy, you know, like I said, it's always going to be situational. But there are key aspects of this presentation that we're going to go over that will help you understand how to recognize your opportunity, getting the knowledge, and at the end of the day, taking that action which you need to move forward. The next thing that I want to stress on is defining a goal, right? So buying a home is obviously not an easy feat, but it's also not impossible. What I always like to do myself, because I did this practically when I first bought my home, is I wrote down a goal. I said, you know, in three years, I'm going to buy a property. And so when you write down that goal, you start to put things into action, right? You set a deadline. So my deadline was three years. After I wrote down my goal, I set a deadline. I started to have this desire that I want to actually achieve my goal, right? A lot of people around me were saying that it's too expensive. What are you doing? Why are you buying a condo for five hundred for four hundred and fifty thousand? It's not. It's too small. You're overpaying. Blah blah blah. For me, my goal and intention was clear that I want to get into the market. And for that, when I defined my goal, when I set a deadline, I actually started to put things into motion. That's when I started to force myself to save some money, to spend less outside, to be more frugal. And all these things that I put into motion eventually helped me get to my goal, which was to purchase a home eventually. So what I'm trying to say is that if you have a goal to buy a house, but you're not going to write it down, you're not going to set a deadline, it's probably going to take you a lot longer to buy something because with a deadline, with the goal clear in mind, it's going to help you put things into action. And you're actually going to start doing things that will help you elevate yourself to that end goal of homeownership. Now we're gonna go through the actual walkthrough of the home buying process. So what are your next steps right now, right? There's four steps involved in the home buying process. The first step is going to be your mortgage, right? So let's just say I meet you, you're the buyer. You know, I'm coming in to give you a consultation. I'm gonna tell you guys, okay, the first, very first step that we're gonna do is get you a pre-approval, which Fatima is going to talk about. The second step is going to be understanding what are your costs involved when purchasing your home. So there are several costs that a lot of people are not aware of. In this presentation, we're going to tell you that so you can budget for those costs when you are saving for your down payment. Number three is going to be your criteria. So what are you looking for? This is the square footage, the number of bedrooms, the location, and will that fit your budget? And last but not least is actually beginning your search. Now that you know what you want, you have your pre-approval, you can start to do the fun activities where it's starting your search and start putting in some offers and hopefully getting a property. So for the first step, I'm gonna give it away to Fatima again. She's going to discuss the pre-approval process and what you need to know to acquire a mortgage. Thank you, Essen, and I'm going to dive right into it. So stick with me um, on this um, analogy. Um, and there's probably a lot of stuff that I'm going to talk about. So if you have any questions, like feel free to ask, you know, even when I'm talking about this. Um, okay, so imagine, you know, if uh, you go to a store, you've forgotten your wallet and you only have $20 today, okay? You pick up an item and you're like, I love this item. 
You go to the cash register, turns out the item is $30, okay? You went in not knowing, you know, how much the item was gonna be. So similarly, you know, when you're buying a house or, you know, just a property, you need to know how much it is that you can afford. Um, so with that, you need to connect with an agent that can run real-time numbers for you. Um, so things to keep in mind, um, I guess, you know, to get an estimate of how much it is that you can be qualified for, um, think of your household income. Um, if you are putting 20% down, you take your uh, household income and you multiply that by four and a half um, to five, you know, that's how much an estimate of a mortgage amount uh, you can be qualified for. If you're putting less than 20% down, um, you can be qualified for your um, income um, anywhere between four to four and a half times what your household income is. So, but those are just estimates sitting down and talking to an agent because there's other things, you know, that play into what uh, you can be qualified for. So things are income, uh, down payment, whether you're putting 20% down, whether you're putting less than 20% down, um, your credit score is an important factor as well, um, as well as any debts that you might have. So debts can be, you know, car loan, student loan, line of credit, um, credit card, the type of property that you're purchasing, the area that you're, you know, purchasing a property in. These are all the things that go into your qualification. Once we have all the information, so if you're working with an agent, they'll ask for documents like pay stubs, employment letters, you know, savings that you have for your down payment, any loans that you might have. Once we have all that information, we can then, you know, tell you that, hey, this is how much you qualify for in terms of a purchase price. Um, and then once you have that number, you can start you know, touring, you know, looking for a property. Um, there's sometimes, and I think, you know, um, Essence mentioned this already as well, it's the mindset, right? You can't, you know, go in thinking that you're going to get, you know, that white picket fence, you know, with, a, you know, like a four bedroom house, right? Know what it is that you're trying to achieve. And if that's, you know, getting into the market, your budget might not be where you want it to be, right? So, just, you know, just have a positive mindset that this is, you know, putting your foot through the door, you know, the stepping stone. And, you know, in the next few years, you know, you will get that white picket fence house that you were looking for, right? Um, so those are just some of the things, you know, that you need to consider when um, you are looking to get pre-qualified or getting a pre-approval. Um, once, uh, you know, you also will speak to your agent about, you know, whether you want to go fixed or variable. Um, so just to give you a little bit of background on, you know, the pros and cons for both. Um, so fixed rates, good thing is your monthly payments are the same every month, you're paying the same amount. Um, so if you're the type of person who can't, you know, um, sustain volatility, you know, who can't stomach the risk, um, then a fixed payment might be a good option for you, right? However, the downside um, to a fixed rate mortgage is that, you know, let's say your term is for five years, you know, in year two, you decide, you know, that you now want to make a change, you know, to your house, whether, you know, whether you want to upsize. And so technically, you might be breaking that mortgage. So the penalty on a fixed rate mortgage is way higher than that of a variable rate mortgage. Um, now, uh, the downside, I guess, to variable uh, rate mortgages is that um, if it is a true variable mortgage, 
um, the payments fluctuate, right? So when the Bank of Canada, you know, makes an announcement um, and uh, so your payment, you know, month to month might fluctuate, right? So if you're the type of person who doesn't like the risk, you know, who wants to sleep peacefully at night, maybe the variable um, rate isn't the right um, product for you. Um, the upside to variable rates is that you know, the penalty on that is very minimal. Um, so I'll give you a perfect example. My husband and I purchased our first house in 2014 uh, in Brampton. We all our family lives in Richmond Hill. Our life is in Richmond Hill. But we bought our first house in Brampton because, you know, seriously, at that time, that's all we could really afford. Um, a year and a half later, we were having our first uh, baby. And we we're like, oh, no, we need to be close to our family members. So we decided, because we were locked into a fixed rate mortgage, we had to break our mortgage because, and, you know, incur the penalty because we didn't, you know, we, we didn't, I, I wouldn't say we didn't plan our lives, but we didn't think of all the factors, right? So talking to the right agent, having that conversation, you know, knowing where your life is going to be in the next few years is very important. Of course, we can't plan everything, but it's just something to keep in mind. Um, and yeah, and, uh, you know, so Essen, I'm going to, you know, flip it back to you. What's your preference? Because you're a real estate investor. Um, you know, do you prefer fixed or variable? Well, you put, put me on the spot there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's a good one. So I would say for me, you know, right now, given the environment, obviously, like, I'm more comfortable going the short term fixed option, um, just because I want to be able to sleep at night right now with the rates the way they are. But I do know that when rates start to come down, and, and they will in the near future, if the real rates become attractive enough, again, this is my opinion, um, I, I wouldn't hesitate to go towards a variable because like you said, our, our family, our dynamics change. And if you ever want to break that mortgage or upsize or downsize, right, that penalty will be a lot lower. So I think, again, it's very situational uh, with the times as well um, to, to answer that question. But yeah, that's, that's a very, very common question. That's amazing. And I think that's uh, absolutely yeah. bang on. I think that's what we would do as well. Um, yeah. So with that being said, you know, I'm just going to wrap up. Yeah, really, once you have that number, you know, you can go back to your uh, realtor, you can start touring. Um, and then, you know, once you like a property, well, what happens then is then, um, you know, you put an offer on the property, we go to the lender that we want to submit the mortgage to, um, there, then there's an approval that comes through, like a formal approval that comes through to say, hey, you know what, we're going to lend, you know, to the clients. Um, and then, you know, there's a commitment letter that comes out, the clients and the mortgage agent, you know, they look at the commitment letter, they go through the commitment letter. Um, and then, you know, then, you you know, you just wait for your closing date. And really, that's how, you know, the step-by-step -step process of really a mortgage works. Um, the good thing about working with a mortgage agent, you know, such as me, is that we're available by your side. You know, every time you're putting an offer on a property, we run live numbers for you to say, hey, you know, this is what your maximum purchase price can be, because there's sometimes wiggle room, um, you know, depending on the area, because like I said, inside the qualification, what, um, you know, taxes and maintenance are also part of the qualification. Um, so there's always wiggle room. So that's why having somebody, you know, by your side, you know, walking you through the, you know, through the process definitely really helps. Perfect. Thank you so much. Okay. So now, sorry, Fatima, did you have anything else to add there or we're good? Oh, no, 
Yeah. Okay. Awesome. No, I'm good. Please continue. Right. So, so now we, so now you've got the pre-approval. Remember, you're, you're actually going through this process yourself now. So you've got the pre-approval. Um, we understand what you can budget for. Now, step number two is understanding what your closing costs are going to be, right? And closing costs can be your lawyer fees. It's going to be your land transfer tax, and it's going to be your home inspection, uh, moving costs as well. Now, let's go into detail with all of these cost over here. So whenever you buy or sell a home in Ontario, you do have to hire a legal uh, team, a lawyer who's going to be doing the closing documents for you. They're basically there to make sure that, you know, everything checks out that whoever you bought the home from is actually the owner. There's no liens on the property, things like that. And that lawyer fee will cost you approximately maybe $1,500 to $2,000 for that transaction. The land transfer tax is a one-time tax that every home buyer in Ontario has to pay when they buy a property. And it's determined based on a very complicated formula, but I'm gonna go through a actual example with you to tell you how much this is going to cost. And then the home inspection. Home inspection basically is a feature where you buy the home, you're going to hire a home inspector to make sure there's no major deficiencies in the home. And if there are, you can try to mitigate those deficiencies. And then you have your moving costs, obviously, which you'll have to budget for. So let's go to the land transfer tax and calculate this actual example. And I'm going to use a figure here so that you understand what your total costs are going to be. So let's say, for example, you bought a house or you're looking at a house for $600,000, right? The land transfer tax is of two types. There is a land transfer tax, which is applicable in the city of Toronto, um, which is in the 416 region. And there's also a land transfer tax applicable in the suburbs in the 905 region. So let's say you bought a house in Toronto, your land transfer tax based on a $600,000 property is going to come up to about 16,950. If you bought a house in let's say the 905 region, so Richmond Hill, Vaughan, uh, Markham, et cetera, your land transfer tax is going to be half of that, which is 8475. Now, again, this is a very complicated formula. What I like to do is I like to go online. There's a land transfer tax calculator that will allow you to basically punch in your purchase price and it'll spit out the numbers for you and tell you exactly what your land transfer tax are going to be. The next is your legal fees and disbursement. This is the lawyer fees, which I was talking to you about, $1,500 or $2,000. And then there's title insurance. Title insurance is about $300. So basically you've obviously heard about the, the news right now about people selling homes that were not theirs, right? Title insurance helps you cover some of these claims. Then there's a home inspection, which will cost you about $400 to $500. And then your moving costs, which is about $1,500. Again, these are all estimates that I've looked at. So approximately on a house that's worth $600,000, your total approximate fees are going to come to $13,000 to $21,000 in total. Now, why is there such a wide spread in there? Well, if you're a first-time home buyer and you haven't bought a home anywhere in the world, you are actually going to be eligible for a home buyer incentive worth about $4,000 rebate, which will be applicable to you uh, on the actual uh, land transfer tax. So for example, let's say if you go back to the 905 region, your uh, cost to was 84.75, right? This $4,000 will be applied to this. So now your land transfer tax will be half of that, which would be 44.75. Now, if you're living in the city of Toronto, you'll get an extra $4,400, I believe, 
So your land transfer tax, if you're a first-time home buyer from 17,000, will come down to about eight or 9,000 approximately. So that's only applicable if you are a first-time home buyer and you haven't bought a home anywhere in the world. Now, uh, again, for details on this rebate, we always recommend that you speak to a lawyer um, and your lawyer will actually apply this rebate to you on the day of closing. So that's a really good benefit if you are a first-time home buyer. Now, what is a land transfer tax exactly? It's, it's just a tax that you know, Ontario has put on just to make revenue on any sale on the properties. It's not, obviously it's not the best because it does add on to your, you know, fees and your down payments. But what I always like to explain to people is that if you didn't know that these costs were involved and you found out on closing that you had to shell an extra 13000 or $21,000, which has happened by the way to a lot of people, then it comes as a huge surprise. And that element of surprise obviously does not bode well for you as a buyer because now you have to come up with $20,000 in cash out of nowhere and it becomes very, very stressful. So the reason why we go over these costs before we even start looking at a property is not to become pessimistic and say, oh, you have to pay a lot more. It's so you can start budgeting for this stuff because if you don't budget for it, then at the time of closing, it becomes very, very stressful and then things can get chaotic and you'll just try to run around to get the cash. And it's not enjoyable. You want your first time home buying process to be enjoyable. So that's why you wanna get all your cards right before you actually start the process. So now that we have understood the closing costs, let's go on to step number three. So now we're actually gonna be starting to look at homes and deciding on the criteria of your home. So the first thing that we're gonna do when I sit down with you, we're gonna discuss your needs. What is the size? What is the special features, lifestyles that you need uh, for your home? The next thing is going to be the location. Where do you wanna live? Right? Do you want to live close to work, close to schools? Uh, are there special amenities you want to be nearby? Um, maybe you have family or friends in a specific area. So we're going to look at location as well. Number three is considering new build or resale. Right, So you're going to have two options. You're going to have the option of buying a resale property, which is on the market, ready to move in right away. Or you're going to have the option of buying a new build property, which will allow you to basically buy a brand new home. But when you buy a brand new home, your, uh, the, the, I would say the negatives, not the negatives, maybe some things to look out for are going to be the time factor. So when you buy a new home, that home is not going to be ready right away. It's gonna be ready maybe in a couple of years, maybe a year or two years down the road. Um, and new homes are typically a bit more expensive. So there is a bit of a premium naturally because they are brand new. But the good thing about a new home is that everything is new. You get warranties in the property. You don't have to worry about repairs or maintenance as much as you would as a resale property because everything is brand new. The roof is new. The appliances are new. The furnace is new. So buying a new build is a good option, but it does come at a little bit of a premium. So now we've decided to understand what our criteria is. Now we're going to get to the actual fun part, which is beginning your search and understanding the buying process. <clears throat> now, these are a lot of steps over here, but I really want you guys to kind of focus on this because this is the, the meat and potatoes of the offer buying process. And if we miss out on these things, then it can get a little bit complicated. So the first thing that we're going to consider when, so let's just say we found a home, you found a home that you like, uh, let's say in Richmond Hill, and you've decided that you want to move into this house, you want to put an offer in. Okay, so now before making an offer to purchase, we're going to determine three separate things. The first thing is the price. Second thing is going to be the deposit. And the third thing is going to be the closing day. 
So let's break this down in further detail. The price, what are we going to offer for that property? The way we look at pricing is I'm going to pull a few comparables in the neighborhood to let you know what sold recently. And basically when, sorry, just give me one second, guys. Uh, okay, I got a question there. Yeah. So what we're going to do is discuss the price. How are we going to come up to a price point? So let's just say the house cost a million dollars. I'm going to say, you know, Mr. Buyer and Mrs. Buyer, uh, the last two homes in this neighborhood in the last 30 days sold for um, 990000 and 995000 So we have an idea as to what the expectation is going to be on the seller side. And if there is not a competing offer, we may even go in at, let's say, 960 970 and see if we can negotiate a price that's reasonable for us. That's number one. The second thing is going to be the deposit. Now, whenever you buy a home in Ontario, you do have to put a deposit when the offer gets accepted. So a deposit is going to be about four or 5% of your purchase price. So, you know, if you put an offer in for a million dollars, you know, you should give a deposit of anywhere between 25 to 50,000, maybe closer to 50,000, I would say, right? And that deposit will be given to the seller's brokerage, not the seller himself. It's gonna to go to the seller's brokerage, it's gonna stay in trust, and it's gonna stay with them until the day of closing that deposit is going to also go towards your down payment that will be bounced out on closing day. So it's important to have that money ready and available because it'll be due 24 hours after your offer has been accepted. The next thing to negotiate is going to be the closing day. So closing is basically when are you going to get possession of the property, right? When are you going to actually get the keys physically in your hands? Now, some people will ask for a closing of 30 days. Some will ask for 60 days. Some will ask for 90 days. If let's say you're leasing or renting out a property, you'll probably need about 60 days to 70 days because you have to give your landlord notice. So typically anywhere between 30 to 90 days is standard for a closing date. Now, when you, let's just say you got the offer accepted, right? Now we're going to put things in the actual offer. These are important clauses that I highly, highly recommend for everyone to put in their offers. And the first thing is going to be your condition. So satisfying your conditions. Every offer is going to have what's called a financing condition and an inspection condition. So Fatima talked about getting your pre-approval, making sure you understand what your budget is. But when you have a written offer that's accepted, you need to take that written offer and give it to Fatima. Fatima is going to go to our lenders and they're going to have five business days to basically get you that firm approval. In those five days, for whatever reason, you change your mind or something comes up and you can't get the mortgage, you can actually back out of the agreement and you get your full deposit back. So your deposit is protected for five business days. The second thing is gonna be your inspection. So in those five days that we have, you're also gonna be doing a home inspection. A home inspection basically will be where you hire a professional home inspector. They're gonna come, they're gonna look at things like the roof, the furnace, the air conditioner, uh, the appliances, the foundation, any leakages, and they're going to look for any major deficiencies. Now, every home is going to have some minor issues, but if you find something that's major and you're not comfortable moving forward, for example, let's say there's a foundation crack, which is pretty major, right? You have the opportunity to still back out of the agreement and get your deposit back in full. Now, let's say that the financing goes well, you got the mortgage, the inspection goes well, there's no issues in the home, and you're ready to move forward, you're going to sign what's called a waiver form, which means that you're going to 
basically waive your conditions. When you waive those conditions, after that point, if you decide to back out, obviously you can't do that because now you're committed to the agreement and you will lose your deposit if let's say you change your mind. Now, the next thing here is adding important clauses to your agreement of purchase and sale. Now, these are things that are not mentioned in the slide specifically, but I'm gonna share this stuff with you because this stuff is absolutely crucial. And a lot of people who try to go out alone to buy a home, this is what they forget about. So please listen carefully if you can to this. Number one, in the offer, what I always like to do is make sure I put in the offer that all of the appliances are going to be included with the purchase price. I had a situation with a colleague of mine who was representing a buyer and they put an offer and they got a great price, but he, did, he was new, he forgot to put in the extra section that all the appliances will be included. So when it came time to closing, they came to the house and all the appliances were gone. And when they went to fight for it, well, the offer said the appliances were not included. So whatever you see in the home, except for the furniture, the appliances should be mentioned specifically. So if it's a stainless steel fridge, you mentioned that the fridge, the dishwasher, the washer, dryer, everything is to be included in the purchase price, including any rental items such as the hot water tank or if the furnace is a rental or whatnot. The second thing we want to add is, and this might sound kind of funny, but it's it's important. You want to make sure you add that there was no criminal activity or any crime or suicide in the property, which, you know, it, it, it has happened before. But we want to make sure that we know that information up front. Why do we ask for that? Is because if, let's say, there is a stigma or there was something that happened in this property and you didn't know about it and you bought it and you tried to resell that property and if somebody found out, it's going to significantly devalue your home, like by a lot. So you don't want to get stuck in that process. So you want to put a clause in it that says that, you know, as to the best of the seller's ability, there was no criminal activity, there was no cannabis, there was no uh, grow up operation happening here. That stuff is extremely crucial as well. And then what we want to also put in the agreement is that the home is going to be given to you in a clean and broom swept and vacant condition. A lot of times what happens is that Sellers, when they leave the home, obviously they're so busy, they may not clean the house properly or they may leave furniture here and there. And so we want to make sure that everything is empty because the last thing you want is to call a, a, a truck or, or a junkyard removal company and have you end up paying that, not even the money, but having the time and effort to go through that because you're moving, you're already stressed out. The last thing you want is to throw out the seller's uh, garbage or junk. So that's very important. The next thing we're going to put in the agreement is that from the time you bought the property until the day of closing, when you get the keys, you're going to have the opportunity to do two visits to the property. What I mean by that is that you can go to the house after you bought the property to show your family, your friends, you know, to take measurements for furniture so that you can get a head start. But I always recommend that you keep one visit a day or two before closing. The reason why I recommend that is because when we do that visit the day before closing, we can look for any deficiencies because in those two months, anything can happen, right? The furniture, I mean, the, there could be holes in the wall. Maybe there was a leakage in those two months. Maybe something happened, something broke. So that final walkthrough will allow us, the buyers, to understand and make sure that the home was the same way as it was when we first saw it and when we first put the offer in. Now, what happens when you notice something major? Let's just say there is the, the dishwasher was leaking. Now we have the opportunity to go back to the sellers 
and tell them that, well, we put a clause in the agreement saying that all the appliances should have been in good working order. So now they have to do that. And if they don't do that, then we speak with the lawyer and the lawyer is going to hold back some money. So this is why these clauses are so important. This is why it's so important to understand what you're putting in, what you're writing, because if you don't do that, it's, it's going to be chaotic and, and you're going to find yourself in a lot more stress than you would um, if you hadn't put these things in there. So now let's just say everything is done. We've bought the home. We've satisfied the conditions. We've done the final walkthrough. We're now going to meet with the lawyer and the lawyers that we work with are Zamir and Nabil, which will have their information for you. They're going to be doing all the closing documents for you. Like I said, they're going to make sure that there's no liens on the seller's property, that the actual sellers are who they are. Um, and they're going to meet with you and make sure that everything is done properly with their due diligence. Once you meet them, you do your closing documents, you're going to sign up for your utilities. So your water, your heat, your hydro, make sure that's all set up. You're going to get your insurance. You're going to also change your locks on the day of closing because you don't know who's going to have a copy of your keys, right? So I always recommend doing that. And then it's moving day. Now you've bought your house. Closing day is here. You've got the keys. Congratulations. And now you get to the fun part, which is paying your mortgage. <laughs> so now that you're a homeowner, what are some key steps to look out for? Obviously, you want to make your mortgage payments on time. Make sure you don't default. The next thing is going to be planned for the cost of operating a home. So I just recently moved as well. And, you know, obviously, it's been a while since I've moved, but I didn't realize myself being a realtor that there's so many other expenses to look out for. So your furniture, um, any upgrades you want to do, um, even things like just, you know, your first run of your grocery bill is going to be high. So these amount to a lot of expenses. What I always recommend is that you plan for this, just like you were budgeting before for your clothing costs, also plan for this as well and budget for this first month or two month of expenses which is gonna be a bit more expensive and then things will calm down later on. You wanna save for emergencies. So one thing that we do is we put away a couple of hundred bucks every month, right? Um, just to save for any emergency because things will break down, right? You're, you're a homeowner. Uh, there might be issues later on uh, with your appliances. There might be a, a plumbing issue. There might be an electrical issue. We wanna save for emergency and have that reserve slush fund so that we can budget for those items so that we're not paying a whole lot of cash upfront. Now, one really important tip here that I wanna share with all of you guys is that when we do put the offer in, what I always like to do is I always like to ask the sellers, what is the age of the roof? What is the age of the appliances? How old is the AC? The reason why I ask for this information is because if it's an older home and I know that these items are about to be at the end of their, at the end of their life cycle, then I know that I have to replace them one way or the other. Either I can ask the seller to give me a discount on the price or I can give them an offer less those repair expenses and I will start to budget for those expenses myself. So it's very important to understand these elements of the property because when we don't do that and we go in with an offer and we go in with the inspection, sometimes we come back and we realize, oh, everything is so old in this house. I should never have put an offer in anyways. Not to say that you shouldn't buy older homes, but when you have this information beforehand, trust me, it makes things a lot easier for you and gives you some peace of mind going into the process. The next thing is living within your budget, right? Obviously now with, with the things the way they are with interest rates uh, sky high and, and, and the cost of living, I think it's very important to live within your budget. 
Um, and this is where I go back to Fatima's point is that as your first property, you don't have to go for that dream house. You don't have to go for that white picket fence because quite frankly, we may not even be able to afford that at this time of our lives. So what should we do? Maybe instead of getting a three bedroom detached home, we go for like a three bedroom condo townhome, which may be a couple hundred thousand dollars cheaper. Now it may not be the biggest home. It may not have the best renovations, but the key is to get into home ownership, right? And take my example, uh, you know, when I bought my home a few years ago, I didn't start with, with, with a house or a detached home. I started with a small one bedroom plus condo, which was barely 800 square feet. And I bought it and people around me were saying, why are you buying a house that's small and so expensive? It cost me about 450 grand, but I bought it. I said, my goal is to get into a home one way or the other. If it's a condo or a townhome, doesn't matter. I bought the home. Fast forward three years later, that home went for 450 to about 570,000, which I sold for 150K more. I used that equity I built over time and I parlayed that into my new home, which was a townhome, which I bought uh, a few, just a couple years before. And so what that did was getting to that condo allowed me to build equity. You know, in that three-year time frame, I was also able to save more money. My income grew as well. As, as time goes on, your income is going to grow as well. You're going to get a better job more pay and so things happen progressively and then you can actually get into your dream home or a home that would be better for you the next thing is going to be your home maintenance like i talked about as well just maintaining your home on a regular basis so that you don't have to do all of your renovations all up front if let's say something breaks down try to address it immediately instead of holding back and waiting and waiting and waiting then things get worse it may even break you have to replace the entire feature so try to maintain your home on a regular basis and saving for those emergencies, having that reserve fund is definitely going to help. Okay, so I'm gonna, I know we're getting a little bit uh, over time here. I'm just gonna quickly share this slide with you and then we're gonna get into some Q and A's. Buying versus renting, you know, what are the pros, what are the cons? Again, there's nothing wrong with renting, absolutely. I think if you are saving your money and your goal is home ownership, absolutely rent and enjoy your home. But in that process, understand that, you know, when you do have your own home, nobody's going to come and tell you that you have to leave if the sellers want, if the landlords want to move in or want to sell the home. When you're buying a home, you're building equity for your home as a value appreciates. You're contributing to your own financial plan. Um, you can also use your registered retirement funds for uh, as a first time home buyer to use for your down payment. And then you have your pride of home ownership. When you're renting, you are paying rent and you're gonna be contributing to somebody else's financial plan. Your money is gonna to go towards the landlord's equity, right? You don't have ownership. So again, there's nothing wrong with renting. Obviously in this high price environment, we may have to rent for a couple of years, but if you have a plan to buy a home or if you're in a position to buy a home and you're just waiting, my sincere advice is to at least have a pulse on the market to see what's out there and see if there's a home that might be right for you in the right budget as well. These are some first-time homebuyer incentives, which I'm not going to go over right now, but I will forward you guys these slides later on so you can review them. Now, before we end off, just a quick little market update for you guys, as I'm sure this is probably the most pressing matter right now. What we're seeing, what we saw in the last six months was really, really interesting where the market really corrected about 20 to 25% in the greater Toronto area overall. 
What we're seeing now, actually, in the last month or so is a bit of a resurgence in price and also sales. So I want to go over some year-over-year -year numbers with you over here before we go over the month-over-month -month numbers. So in February of this year, we had about 4,700 sales. This was actually down by almost 47% year-over-year. The reason why this number is so wide is because last year in February was a record-breaking month, and it was the highest uh, I would say sales and average price that we saw in a while. The average price this February was about 1.095. Last year, it was about 1.334. So it was down 18%. Again, we're comparing it to the highest peak of the real estate market, which was last year. Now what we're seeing from last month to this month is a bit of a resurgence. So in January, we saw 3,100 sales. That went up to 4783 sales in February. In January, the average price was 1.038. Now the average price in February was 1.095. So we are seeing a bit of an uptick in activity. Um, there are still auto opportunities out there, but I am seeing that there are more buyers out there in the market. There's not a lot of inventory, which is obviously creating more uh, multiple offers, more bidding and more demand. Um, but again, you have to identify those opportunities in the market and understand what you can afford and where you can buy. This is the TREB housing market chart. So as you can see from all the way from 94 January up until January 2020, you can see that there were fluctuations throughout the market throughout the years. But eventually home values do tend to go up. They go up and down, but they go upwards. And I believe in the future, we're probably going to see this trend continue not because we're trying to pump up the market, but just because the level of immigration coming into Canada, our population growth is exploding. We don't build enough homes, there's not enough supply. And quite honestly, a lot of the people that are coming into this country do have cash that they can buy properties with, and it's inflating those prices. So if we can fix the housing supply in this province, that can help a little bit. But the way our population is growing, um, my advice is that in the next 10 years, I don't know where the prices are going to be. If anything, are they going to be a lot higher? So we try to get in the market as soon as we can, if the situation is right, just so in the next 10, 20 years, you know, if our kids want to get into the market or buy a home, we have some assets for them that they can rely on for a down payment. All right. That was uh, interesting as we were all fasting or some of us were fasting and uh, didn't have my caffeine either. So quite thirsty right now, but thank you so much guys for, uh, for joining this presentation. I apologize if it was a bit long, but I just wanted to share those information with you. Um, again, this is going to be recorded. We are going to send this out to everybody so you can refer, refer back to this. Um, we're going to be doing a Q&A right now for all of you guys. And so if you have any questions, uh, please feel free to unmute yourself, or you can just chat in the chat box over here. <clears throat> I think I can go first and break the silence if that's okay. Sure, please do. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, my question is around, you know, you mentioned that the first house you buy may not be your dream house, or it may just be a starter, that you're getting your foot inside the housing market. What do you recommend after that happens? Like, you know, you 
put your foot in? Do you, are you obligated to stay somewhere long-term? Like what's the minimum would you recommend knowing what the market is like right now? Right. Did you want me to start, Fatima? Yes, please, go ahead. Sure. Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a very good question. Well, I think first of all, it's, it's great that you have a property in hand. You know, a lot of people unfortunately are not in that position. Um, so even though it's not your dream home, at least you have built some equity in that property. You know, just again, going back to my own example, right? I think personal examples always um, help you visualize what to do next. When I bought our first condo, um, it was a small condo, like barely 800 square feet. And we did not even move into that property because as time went on, we had a child and we saw the condo when it was built and we're like, we can't really live in this. It's too small. So we decided to stay with our parents. We rented it out for a year or so. But even though that wasn't our dream home, it helped us build equity. And what I found was that after, I think, two years when you know our personal finances became a little bit better um, and I was budgeting for a home, I found that I was in a position to now put a bigger down payment for a home that would serve my purpose better. Again, not my dream home, the townhouse, but a step up, right? So I think to answer your question, if you're in a situation where you feel that you know, you have the funds and that you can maintain the monthly financing, the mortgage, the, the, the property taxes, all that stuff, and you're in a position where you can actually you know, cover those expenses and make that move forward, then by all means, I think you should definitely start looking. If there's any hesitancy where you feel like moving forward is going to put you in a tight situation and you're going to be living, let's say, you know, paycheck to paycheck. For me personally, I don't recommend that because as much as you may enjoy living in that home, if you're not happy and you're struggling every month, then there's really no point because you may just end up having to sell that property after a year, right? And I, I consider that heavily when I bought my townhome because I said, I don't want to be in a situation where I'm here for six months and I'm out. So when I was absolutely ready, I even saved like some reserve funds ahead of time, just as a, as, as an insurance, then I planned out my monthly expenses properly. Um, obviously with the interest rates going up, that kind of uh, had an impact, but what I did was I tried to save in other ways. So I cut down my spending in other ways and I used that savings and I just basically uh, use it to pay off the increase in my mortgage. So I think that, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's really a personal decision. But I think just making sure that you have the ability to maintain the next upsize, whether it's after a year, three years, or five years, um, I think it's very crucial that you sit down and look at your budgeting um, and make sure you're able to maintain or, or pay off your household expenses without having the stress of, you know, being hand to mouth or paycheck to paycheck every month, which I think is not beneficial for anybody, right? Did that answer your question? Yes, and I'm thinking there's also downscaling, right? Let's say you realize the property you have may, may you don't you may not need it to be, you know, the, the size that it is or the format that it is. So um, I guess, you know, watching the market and seeing where those other options are, whether it's upscaling or downscaling, and then looking at your finances, as you said, make the most sense. Thank you for that. No problem. Thank you for the question. I think 
Tahura has a question. Yes, hey, Assalamualaikum. Hey, Tahura, um, how are you? Good, good, Alhamdulillah. Um, I had a quick question about uh, debt, right? So um, is it recommended to jump into, you know, getting like getting into the market without like any debt or like, is it okay to have like, because for example, I have student loans that I still need to pay off um, and even maybe some credit card loans. Um, so would you recommend clearing all that first and then jumping into the market or is it okay to have some sort of debt? And like, how likely are you um, to get approved for a mortgage with that? So I'll take that one. Um, so really it depends, right? Um, it's nice, you know, to have no debt, right? But it's not impossible to get a mortgage while having debt, right? So what I would recommend is that, you know, talk to me, right? We can go through your entire profile because it's case by case, right? Um, we can run numbers based on your income, um, based on, you know, the debt that you have and whether you can, you know, sustain that debt. Um, and then, you know, if there's a target number that you're trying to get to in terms of a house purchase or house price, at least by running these qualifications and these numbers, and these are not like, we're not going to the bank to run these numbers. I can run these numbers, you know, for you. If you just tell me, you know, an estimate, you know, of what your debts are, you know, of um, what your income is and the down payment is. And then, you know, from there we can kind of gauge whether, you know, is it better to pay off your debts, you know, and then go into the market um, or, you know, you can do both at the same time, you know, maybe pay off, you know, the credit card or maybe pay off the student loan, but then keep one over the other. Um, so really very situational um, um, up until, you know, like we see the full profile. Thank you so much. No problem. And sorry, I just wanted to add one more thing. The fact that you're thinking about it already and that it's in your head, in your mind, you know, talking to, you know, talking to me or Essen, it doesn't cost anything. Like we're here to help. We love having these conversations. So, you know, if you're thinking of buying a house, let's say in one, two, three years, you know, have these conversations with us, reach out to us and we'd be happy to Wi-Fi help. Wi-Fi to Hello? I think we can now, Ethan. Hey, Shibir. Hey, hey. I think Fatma, you were continuing. Sorry, you got cut by some other. Um, no, uh, no, no. I was done. I just, <laughs> no, no. I just really wanted to say that you know, uh, you know, if you are thinking about purchasing a house, it, like even if it's not now, start having that conversation. You know, with a realtor, with a mortgage agent, and you know, we can uh, assist you and provide you, you know, with the tools that you need to make that first purchase. Thank you so much. Uh, quick follow up on that. Um, yeah. For the down payment. Mm -hmm. um, is, it, is it always better to have the 20% down or even 5% is okay? 
So really depends. So if you're looking for a property that's over a million dollars, the minimum down payment is generally 20%. Um, if you can, you know, get away, like, let's say if the property is under a million dollars, you can get away with just putting, you know, as little as, you know, 5% down. Um, but once again, there is a mortgage insurance that is tied because you're not putting the full 20% down. So really, um, to have less than 20%, it kind of, you know, gets you, you know, your foot through the door, you know, because, you know, say like, you know, a house that costs $700,000, 20% of that is 140,000, right? And like Essence said, like inflation is all over the place. It's so hard to save, right? Um, so, you know, even if you have some savings out there and if the math makes sense and if homeownership is what you want, then, you know, maybe, you know, having that minimum down payment, you know, will allow you to get that house, even though, you are going to be paying that mortgage insurance. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, thank you. Okay, perfect. Uh, Essen, I actually have a question for you. Yeah. <laughs> what are you seeing in the market in terms of the different areas? Like I know in 2021, 2022, you know, it, it was so hard. You were seeing multiple offers on properties, like so many offers. Are you seeing the same thing now, especially with supply being low? Yeah, so so right now, what I am seeing is that things are sort of mimicking what we saw in those years, okay. uh, where I'm starting to see multiple offers come back. Um, I wouldn't say that homes are going like 200, 300,000 over asking all the time. But it seems like a lot of people have sort of jumped off the fence now and are all coming back at the same time. And I think it's a number of factors. Number one, obviously, I think with the rate hikes uh, being paused for now, um, if anything, that sort of caused a little bit of stability. Again, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Um, the second thing is that there's a lack of inventory across the board. And so with limited inventory, you're going to have obviously more competition. And then we're also heading into the spring market now, right? So spring market historically has always been a bit busier. Um, so we're starting to see more people. I'm getting more calls from people, you know, looking into buying a home, selling a home. But what we saw back in... November, December of 2022, when the market was very flat, that, that's gone. So those deals, the best deals that were, could have been found were in November, December. Um, and so now I think we're seeing that trajectory upwards again. Again, things can change on the dime. Uh, if rates go up, we may see a, a correction again. But I think right now it's, it's a bit more competitive than what, what it was. And we're, we're starting to see it come back although not to full swing as 2021, we're starting to see it slowly mimic a little bit of that because we are seeing multiple offers on, on homes again. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Does anybody have any questions uh, about the interest rates? I know a lot of news on that. If not, then I can ask the uh, Fatima question. Fatima, what's happening with, with the rates? If you can just kind of give us a, a high level uh, information about interest rates in, in Canada in general. Of course. Um, so I would say the last 18 months, right? Um, a lot of people who are getting into the market, um, they were opting for, for a variable rate mortgage. Um, things have now changed where uh, people are opting for a shorter fixed term rate. 
And the reason for that is that there is a 1% spread between fixed and variable rates. And so, you know, in people's minds, what they're thinking of doing is they're, you know, getting that two, three year fixed term rate, you know, hoping, you know, once the Bank of Canada decides to, you know, taper and bring the rates back down, they can take advantage and, you know, get access to better rates, you know, they're not locked into that five year um, a term, you know, that normally people go for. Um, we've seen nine consecutive rate hikes, you know, since last March 2022. Um, hopefully, the last increase that was supposed to happen didn't happen. They put a pause on it. And that was on March 8th. I think we have another announcement happening on the 12th of April. Um, and that will kind of set the bar to see, you know, which way um, the market is going to go, you know, whether, you know, you know, like that's the end of the rate hikes for now, up until it stabilizes with everything that's been going on in the US as well, you know, the you know, the Silicon Valley bank collapse and everything else that's going on. Plus our inflation has also come down. I know they want to get it to like that 2% mark, uh, but they are seeing, you know, the changes that are happening. So hopefully, you know, Bank of Canada, you know, puts that pause on and, you know, because I know a lot of people have been affected um, by the increases that have been happening yeah. over the last 18 months, basically. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely been challenging for a lot of people. Yeah. And then do you, do you, do you anticipate uh, the rates coming down next year or are we going to, like, what's yes. your personal opinion? Yeah, so we're already seeing fixed rates come down already. So, you know, just quickly, you know, to give you someone who puts less than 20% down, which is called an insured mortgage, we're seeing rates anywhere between... 4.8 to 5%. So they've already significantly come down uh, for people who are putting 20% down, uh, which is called a conventional mortgage. The rates are anywhere in and around like the mid fives, right? So that's for like a fixed term mortgage. Uh, variable rates are still higher um, in comparison. Um, so hopefully, you know, you know, we're thinking early next year, 2024, we're going to start, you know, rates, you know, to taper off. Of course, they're not going to be like they were during the pandemic. So not that one to two percent that people are hoping for. Like that's never that, should, that, that, that shouldn't even be should legal, <laughs> actually, okay, uh, because we see the storm that it created in the market. Um, so anywhere between like the three, four percent, you know, that's where, you know, it's, it, you know, it's to keep the economy healthy. Thanks for that. Any other questions, guys? I don't have a question. I have a comment. Sure. Asalaamu Alaikum. Awesome. I'm happy that you're here and I say salams to Fatima. Can I, I'm his mom, Essen's mom. <laughs> oh, nice to meet you, Auntie. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. And nice to meet you too. I just wanted to say that he's really working hard and you know, I'm happy that he's talking to you and he's talking to others with interviews or some are taking his interviews, whatever. But I'm proud of him as my son. And as a man, and as a husband, and as a father, I'm really proud of him that God gave him to me a very good gift. First thing in my life, my first love is Essen Raza. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Mom. You're I appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank you. Love you, Love you thank too. You. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Have all the success in your life, but help others too. All right? Inshallah. Thank you. Keep us to us. Thank you.
that was the best comment of the day. <laughs> <laughs> super cute, super nice, uh, amazing. Yeah, I think we're we're good then. Well, we can we can end it off in that. Shabir, did you have any questions? I know you jumped on a little bit later. Oh, I was there from the beginning, but oh, yeah, you were not, okay. Uh, I'm all good. Uh, all good? Shabir, my second love, okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Great, great presentation, by the way. I think it's, uh, it Thank was you. really nice to uh, yeah, understand the whole uh, process. Yeah. And yeah, keep it up, man. Good. Uh, good thank team. you. Thank, thanks, everyone, for joining in. Like I said, we have recorded this session, so we're going to be sending this out to you guys uh, by Monday, hopefully. Um, if you have any personal questions about uh, the real estate market or, or the mortgages, by all means, you have our contacts. I uh, give myself and Fatima a call. Um, we'd be happy to sit down with you guys and give you a consultation. And hopefully one day, you know, uh, help you guys get into home ownership. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for jumping on. Have a wonderful weekend and all the best guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Bye. Bye.